Dark waters lay before them, dark forces came behind. To the left and right, the desert brought panic to their minds. The evil of that hour was stronger than the sun that beat on them with nowhere left to run. The chariots of Egypt drew nearer as they cried. Yet Moses stood there calmly with a fearless faith inside. He said there is a power far greater than the sword. Stand still and you will witness a mighty salvation from our Lord. And then the Red Sea parted, for now there was a way to enter in rejoice.
Today's sermon is pre-recorded. A pure heart by faith. A pure heart by faith. Let's pray. Lord, I come eager to share your word today that we might have this pure heart by faith. Lord, would you quicken the word and make it plain to our ears? Lord, open our minds that we could understand. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Most of us are very clear about how a man or woman comes to Jesus Christ, but let's just review it quickly so that we know we're all on the same page. A person begins to be convicted of their sin. They begin to sense a need created by the Holy Spirit in their heart. And as that need grows in their heart, they begin to search. They're shared somehow by a friend or a a loved one what the gospel message is. They read it in the scriptures. They know that something has to change in their life. And so they begin to turn toward the Lord. And there they learn that if they will repent of their sin, if they will receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, all of their past sin can be forgiven. All of their past sins are wiped away. That is a free gift of grace. They can be brought into full salvation in Jesus Christ that there isn't anything that they can do to earn this salvation. It is a free gift to them. This gift of grace goes far beyond anything that we can imagine. One young man said to me, Pastor, I've done this and I've done this, and he began to list the sins. Fornication, gambling, Drugs, lying, cheating, stealing. He began to list everything he'd done and he said, now you're telling me that all of that sin can be forgiven. Yes. How's that possible? You can't just say, sin be forgiven and it goes away. I have my memories. I know what I've done. Who's going to pay the price? I said, Jesus, that's why he died on Calvary. There can be no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Jesus shed his blood so that your sin could be forgiven. It could be wiped out and there's no longer any condemnation for you. You are free. He said, what do I have to do to earn this? He said, you didn't understand what I just said to you. You can't earn it. The price was paid on Calvary for your sin. It's wiped away. Okay, what do I have to do to to enter in? I said, okay, now that's a good question. All you have to do to enter in is die. Be crucified. You give up your life. You give up your life and you receive another life. You give up your life and you receive Jesus Christ. 
and his life consumes you. I said, well, wait a minute. You mean if I want my past sins forgiven, there are no more girls coming? I said, you've got it. That's right. You mean if I want my past sins forgiven, I have to give up everything? Yes. You're no longer in charge of your life. God is going to do something wonderful in you. He's going to transform you into a new creature. The old will be gone and the new will come. He said, Pastor, that's hard. Can't I have my sins forgiven and continue to have what I want and just ask Jesus to forgive me again? No, it doesn't work that way. The only way your sins can be wiped out is if you're willing to go to the cross with Jesus. Otherwise, all of your sins stand. And then you'll be cast into hell at the great day of judgment. Pastor, is hell real? Yes. Yes. Is it eternal? Yes. Can I get out of it? No. Pastor, that's not a fair choice. It's not a fair choice. I like options. I said, you like options because you're a rich American. And you think you can have it all. But you can't have your sin and Jesus too. You cannot have your sin and Jesus too. It's one or the other. If I were to say, my friend, here's a million dollars. And you were to say to me, oh, I'd like that million dollars, but can I keep my poverty? No. You can't be a millionaire and live in poverty. You can't do it. You're either rich or you're poor. You can't live with a million dollars in your pocket and be poor. You can go pretend that you're poor. You can play poor. But if you take the gift, you're changed. Now, you can go throw the million dollars away. You can put it in the garbage. You can get rid of it and then you can be poor again. There won't be another million coming. So we all understand that our sins are forgiven. Our sins are wiped out. The past is made clean before God as a free gift by the blood of Jesus Christ. We didn't earn it. We can't do good things to make it happen. 
this young man said to me, but pastor, I was told by my Muslim friend that if I do more good things than bad things, I can go to heaven. I said, I'm sorry, he's wrong. You'll never be able to do more good things than bad things. Because even good things that you try to do now are wicked things. Because your motives are involved. You're not trying to do good things because you're a good man. You're trying to do good things so you can escape your past. So we come to the scriptures. I want to read for you what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans. I'll begin reading in chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? I want you to see that word justified. Since we have now been justified. Again in review. The old English Latin word. That justified is translated from. Means to make holy. The word that's being used here in the Greek is dikio. And it means innocence. Or to be made righteous. So. We kind of have a conundrum here. I am saved by grace. I am saved as a free gift of blood. Shed on Calvary. My sins are wiped away. I'm brought into this new relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have usually in the modern church tried to separate justification and sanctification. Obviously, you can tell that won't work because the word justified means to make holy. So the past is wiped out, but at the same time the past is being wiped out, we are being given righteousness as a free gift also. Now, I want you to catch this. The way a person is saved and the way a person is sanctified is the same way. It is all a gift of grace. It is by faith. It's not by hard works. You're not saved. Your sins are not wiped away. And your sins are not forgiven by hard work that you do. You are not made holy by hard work that you do either. It is all a work of faith. A pure heart is given to us by faith in Jesus Christ. Now when we begin to take that apart and look at what it's composed of to break it down in little bits, this is what Paul says. Now since we have been justified, verse 9... 
by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. The word reconciled, again, is a technical word. Those of you who are good in business, how do you reconcile your checkbook? You come into agreement with the bank. And either the bank is wrong or you're wrong. And you have to find the mistake and you have to correct it. And then we say the checkbook is reconciled. Am I right? We were enemies of God. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood, he made provision for my life to be reconciled with his heart. In other words, for me to come into agreement with the bank, that my bank, God, and my heart should be reconciled so that there's no disagreement between us. That can only happen by the blood of Jesus wiping away all of the mistakes of my life so that by faith I'm now clean before God, I'm reconciled with God. We both agree we say the same thing. My sins have been wiped away. I've been made clean before Jesus. And by faith I stand. That's why we go and just keep your finger in the fifth chapter. When you go to the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. Chapter 8 verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The sin has been wiped away. There is no judgment against my life. I am free in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So what I want you to see today is that this work of salvation from the very beginning, was initiated by God. He was the one who began to stir in your heart and say, I'm tired of this sin. I'm tired of this wickedness. I don't want to walk this way anymore. I want to wake up in the morning and have a clean conscience. I want to wake up in the morning and have joy in my heart. I don't want to live under the burden of sin one more moment. And so he began to move in my heart. I I began to learn about the gospel. And then I made a decision and I said, Okay, Lord, I belong to you. Wipe away my sin. Forgive me for my transgressions. Make me clean before you. Reconcile my life with you, Jesus. And he did that. But at the same time he was doing that, He was also, let me use a word that's very misunderstood, he also regenerated my soul. Now, what does regeneration mean? If this arm were cut off, and if it were to grow back, it would be called regenerated. That's what regenerated means. It means to grow back. When Jesus wiped away my sins, he also regenerated my soul. 
He grew something in me. He restored something in me that was lost way back when Adam sinned against God. He restored the spirit interface in my life with heaven. I follow this. In chapter 5, I want you to go to verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all sinned. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, he lost that interface with God. Suddenly they found themselves naked and ashamed. The law of Genesis is that each would give birth to its own kind. So when the first children are born to Adam and Eve, they are born in the same kind that Adam and Eve were. Separated from God. Without the interface of the spirit. So they were born in the same nature that Adam and Eve had as they had utterly rejected God, sided with Satan. Now they too were opposed at birth to God. So Paul is saying, notice, therefore just as sin entered the the world through one man, and death through sin. In this way, death came to all men because all sinned. But before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was the pattern of the one to come. So, please, the law was given as a microscope. It was given to enlarge for us the appearance of sin. In other words, people lived from the time of Adam all the way to the time of Moses, and there was no law governing their lives, but they were still dying because they were still sinning. So the law was given to bring the fullness of sin forward in their hearts so they could see themselves and see the condition of their heart. The law was given as a gift that they could see the wickedness of their hearts. Now notice... And I don't know about you, but as I've read the scriptures many times, I've always kind of skipped in chapter 5 from verse 12 through the next verses because I couldn't understand what they meant. Today I'm going to unfold that for you as the Holy Spirit has shown me. Verse 15, But the gift is not like the trespass, For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace 
And the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many transgressions and brought justification. I said, wait a minute, sounds like the same thing to me. Doesn't it to you? Adam sins. Everybody sins. Jesus comes and brings righteousness, and now everybody's back with God. That's what it sounds like. That's not what he's saying. If you look carefully, he's saying, Adam and Eve's children had no choice about whether or not they would have an interface of the Holy Spirit in their life. They were born into wickedness. They sinned against Jesus simply out of the natural flow of their own hearts. They were given over to the darkness of the devil. So Jesus comes. He dies on Calvary. And now everyone else does not flow with righteousness. Instead, only those who accept and receive what Jesus did for them will now walk in righteousness. So what Jesus did is not give carte blanche to everyone and say, okay, the human race, you're back on track. You have an interface with with God. Because if he had, they would just cast it away again. It It would be of no value to them. So he made provision for those of us who would choose to allow him to forgive us for the past and to make us new creatures so we could walk today in the fullness of the presence of the Holy Spirit so that we could be consumed by the love of God and walk in that love. Verse 18 This is chapter 5 of Romans, verse 18. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification. And that word in the Greek is not dikiu, it's another word meaning acquittal. Just as one act of righteousness was acquittal that brings life for all men, for just as though... Just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. Not everyone made righteous. Only those who choose and say, Jesus, I choose to follow you. You know, it scares me. As I look back over my life and I see some of the situations that I got myself into, I'm I'm absolutely astonished that my heart did not take me into total darkness. I know that only the restraining power of the Holy Spirit on my heart prevented me from utterly throwing over righteousness and going after money or going after lust or going after bitterness and anger or whatever it was. 
when we choose to give ourselves to Jesus, he becomes jealous for us. He becomes jealous for us. And a key part of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to restrain us from walking into the depths of sin. He wants to call us in his mercy. He wants to call us out of that sin and utterly cleanse us and purify us and make us clean. Verse 20, the law was added so that the trespasses might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness. To bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a common myth today in the church. And that myth is that we can be saved and be in sin. And part of the anguish that we've shared together here at the National Prayer Chapel is that some of you have desired to be saved but yet continue in your sin. The scriptures are clear that a man or woman who is brought into Jesus Christ does not continue to walk in sin. I heard one of you say, I'm not a saint. Well, if you're not a saint, you're not saved. By definition, a saint is one who is saved. And if you're not a saint, you're not saved. Our culture just simply says, nobody's perfect. Everybody walks in sin. That's not true. That's a lie. John Wesley was very clear in in cutting those lines very carefully. He went in way of review by the definition given in 1 John that sin is lawlessness, that it is voluntary rebellion against God, seeking my own way. John Wesley described that as sin. He said, then you have immaturity, but certainly we would not say that a child who is immature is walking in sin. No, we'd say they're a child. I never once gave my daughters a spanking when they were little girls because they were immature. We don't do that. Immaturity is something that we leave behind as time goes by and we grow up. Immaturity is not something to condemn a child for. I can remember when I was a child, my dad saying to me, Raymond, I wish you'd grow up. Well, I will. It just takes time. I'm still growing up. And, and it wouldn't surprise me if one of you one day said to me, Pastor, would you grow up? Well, I'm stretching with all my might toward growing up. But I also, then later years, my dad said to me, Ray, I should not have said that to you. 
Because when I get to heaven, I'm going to be like a calf in the stall. And I'm going to have to grow up in heaven. Do you know when we get to heaven, there's going to be a lot of growing up to do? I wonder if the angels ever look at us and say, why? I wish they'd grow up. When I get to heaven, I'm going to be about growing up in Jesus. So immaturity is not a sin. Then we have the illustration I've used before of playing a game of golf. If I hit the golf ball and there's not a hole in one, is that sin? By the Greek definition, that's sin, missing the mark. Harmatia means, in classical Greek, missing the mark. That's not the biblical definition of sin, but that's the classical Greek definition. So if I miss that hole in one, is that sin? No. That's an infirmity. Okay, that's, I don't have the physical ability. I don't have the coordination to get a hole in one. Sin, by definition in scripture, is a voluntary choosing to rebel against the most high God. It is choosing to go my own way. It is choosing to say, oh, wait up, God. Wait, don't be in a hurry here. I still want to enjoy my sin. That's rebellion against the Most High. You can't be saved and continue to walk in your sin. Now, you can be saved and sin. The scriptures are very clear. And if we sin, 1 John tells us that we have an advocate with the Father who will forgive us for our sins and who will then purge all unrighteousness from us. In other words, it was never God's intention to save us and let us continue walking in the degradation of our sin. That was never what God wanted to do for us. He wanted to take us out of that sin to release us from the bondage of that sin and the agony of that sin. I mean, if I... If I'm driving a car and I have a car accident and I'm pinned in that car and I'm in great agony and you come and you hold my hand and you say, don't worry, you're saved. I'm going to say, would you get me out of this wreck, please? I don't want to live in this wreck. No, bring the jaws and separate this thing. Bring the saw and cut me out of it. I want out of it. I want to be free. I want to be free of sin. I don't want to accommodate it in my life. I don't want to walk in it. I want to walk clean in Jesus. Chapter 6, verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. That word count, it means to inventory. In the same way, inventory yourselves dead to sin. I remember in my family, my dad was a salesman, and we, he sold Raleigh products. It took him about three months to get around his 
farm route where he would go to the farmers selling insecticides and all kinds of things that Raleigh men sold. They had the best vanilla in the world. Better than Watkins. But he would, he would go this circle, but the first of every year, the big storeroom in the house had to be inventoried for tax purposes. And every box of insecticide, every bottle of vanilla, everything had to be counted and added up. It was work. Paul is saying, inventory yourselves. Find out if you're dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Some of you are having a difficult time coming through. There's only one reason why we would have a hard time coming through. The old timers called it coming through. And and all they meant was being utterly sold out being all in for Jesus. And so they would have a pew up in the front and they would have people who were struggling with this issue to come and sit in the mourner's pew, it was called. The mourner's pew. They would come and sit in that pew to struggle with the Lord. Sometimes they called it tearing before the Lord. And after a service, it was not uncommon in early American history to have people remain after the service was over, perhaps even all night. As they would cry out to the Lord, as they would struggle with their sin. When they came through, there was much rejoicing and dancing and shouting Hallelujah was shouted all over the place because they had come through in victory. They knew that they were now dead to their sin and alive to Christ Jesus. Well, we've become very sophisticated. Now we come in and we sing some songs and we have some scriptures and we have some prayers and we have the sermon and, and, and hopefully we've been touched and we've laughed and we've gotten something, and then we go back out into the world full of sin. Full of sin. Maybe it's time to bring the mourner's bench back. And say, frankly, you don't have to leave with sin on your heart. You can leave this house clean today with no sin washed and made pure. A pure heart is a gift 
given by God by faith. It's not something you can earn. But it simply means I've come to a point of conviction in my life where I no longer want to play games with God. What I want is to be utterly sold out to him. And I give myself now wholly to Jesus. I reserve nothing back. And these dear brothers and sisters and children who would sit at the mourner's bench would go over their pride. They would go over their love of money. They would go over lifting up their family before Jesus. They would go over each part of their life, the bitterness, the anger that they held, the laziness of their heart. They would go over every sin of their heart. And they would inventory their life until in the inventory everything was under the blood of Jesus by faith. And when that was done, they had the victory. See, you'll never overcome sin in your life by fighting against that sin. Sin is only overcome by the precious gift of blood through Jesus Christ. You want to stop smoking? And the patches haven't worked? And white knuckling it haven't worked? Nothing you've done works? Doesn't work. Well, where's the victory? One dear brother came to me and he said, Pastor, I'd like to stop smoking, but I can't. I said, why can't you? Because I enjoy it. I said, oh, okay. Let's ask Jesus to make you hate smoking. In fact, let's ask Jesus if he would make you sick the next time you try to smoke. Let's ask Jesus if he would just deal with you honestly. Because you're being honest with him. You're saying, Jesus, I love to smoke, but I know I shouldn't be. So would you deal with me, Jesus? That week I got a phone call from him. He said, Pastor, I I got up out of bed. I reached for my cigarette, and it made me sick. It made me nauseated. But I like to smoke, Pastor. But Jesus is making me sick. And that day he gave up smoking. It was over. Jesus took it. Now, those sins are not going to be so easily chased out of your life. Those kinds of sins leave much more quickly than sin of the character. Pride. Anger. Accusation. Judgment. Those sins are much harder to deal with. Because they get right at the core of who we are. Those can be dealt with. All of those sins can be dealt with. As we inventory them before God. And we submit them by faith to the power of the blood of Jesus. The power of that blood will break that sin in our heart. And utterly remove it from us. We're made righteous 
as a gift of grace. We're saved as a gift of grace. We come through in victory over all sin as a gift of grace. When you come before the judgment bar of God and he's about to pronounce judgment on you and you say, sir, wait a minute, wait a minute, you don't understand my wife. He's going to say, why didn't you give her to me? You say, wait a minute, sir, wait a minute, my husband, why didn't you give him to me? Sir, wait a minute, you don't understand. I had to feel important. Why didn't you give it to me? All he's saying is, give me everything. That's why Paul, and I want to read this one last scripture for you. In the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20, If you don't have this underlined in your Bible, please underline it. I have mine circled in yellow and underlined in red and orange. And then a black ink pen under that. And a big check mark beside that. There's nothing I could do to make it stand out more. I would do it. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. That's what Jesus is asking us to let him do in our hearts. He's asking, will you, will you give me everything? Some of you today are lonely in your heart. Did you know it's, it's even lonely sometimes when you're married. Now, That should be an oxymoron. You should not be able to be married and be lonely. But sometimes a marriage can be the loneliest place in the world. Some of you are single, like I am, and you're lonely of heart. Jesus simply says, give me your loneliness. Don't pick up a sword and go out and try to create something for yourself. I've made a covenant with God and I ask you to make the same covenant with me, with the Lord Jesus. I've said to the Lord, I will only receive from your hand what you choose to give me. If he chooses to give me loneliness, then I will have loneliness. But I will have him in the midst of my loneliness. If he chooses to give me another wife, I'll rejoice in what he gives me knowing that my purpose is to make certain that my precious wife is loved and brought into the fullness of Jesus so that she can be with him through eternity. 
I know in Jesus my calling is to not be a master, but to be a servant. And I know all of this happens by faith in Jesus. Do you have a pure heart today? If Jesus were to split the sky open right now and the trumpet were to sound, are you ready? Are you clean? Are you washed? Have you sat at the mourner's bench? Have you inventoried your life? Have you received a pure heart by faith? Have you really received Jesus Christ? If you're having a hard time with this, there's only one thing that could make a man or woman have a hard time with this, and that's sin. Give it to Jesus today. Almighty God, we come by faith and not by works, lest any man should boast. Lord, we know that a pure heart is granted to us through the shed blood of Jesus by faith. And I stand today by faith that you've given to me a pure heart, a clean heart. And I thank you.
trusting in Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com. Now unto him who 